CEE Central Europe Explained An IDM podcast series powered by Erste Group Episode 35 Education cannot wait Crises are known for weakening societies assessed while highlighting their long-standing challenges. Systemic disparities are the first one to be emphasized while increasing the gap between inequities. Indeed, inequalities have long been existing regarding education. Depending on financial status, location and country of residence, not every child accesses schooling equally. But when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, every school faced the necessity of introducing remote learning. And when two years later the war hit Europe, Ukrainian students and teachers must adapt again. Schools and classrooms remain in times of war a place where children can find a sense of stability to learn and process trauma. For Ukraine, it is about 5.5 million school-aged children who remain in the state and thousands of others who fled. Some end up in a new country with unfamiliar faces, schools and languages. Others follow remote learning in which air red sirens give the rhythm. Welcome to CEE, Central Europe Explained. My name is Emma Hontoberry. I am producing this show and I am a research associate at IDM, the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, based in Vienna, Alsergrund. Today with me from London is Lana Schubacher. Welcome, Lana, and thank you for finding the time. Hi, Emma. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me and inviting Yes, me too. I'm very excited for our discussion today. So, Lana, you are at the moment based in the UK, but you are from Kiev. So, I'm from Kiev, but my native town is Kropovnitsky, which is in central Ukraine. So, I evacuated um, during the war after the first week of it to, uh, first it was Lviv, then Poland, then Turkey, and finally I'm here in the UK. But not for long. I'm going um, home, I hope, next month. So let's see how it goes. But now I'm here. So greetings from UK. <laughs> Thank you. I also hope for you that you can make home as you wish soon enough. And yes, so uh, you have been an English primary school teacher, if I'm right. But when the war started, uh, you founded a voluntary project called Pan Havlenko, which provides an online courses for kids refugees uh, mm -hmm. in English, art and many other things. Yeah, so um, I'm a primary school teacher and I have uh, four classes, but because of the war, we had some cutoffs and um, now I allow myself to do some extra project uh, because lots of kids, they uh, don't have online school, unfortunately, and we provide uh, yoga, art. It's for free, absolutely, and um, the schedule is quite smooth, so uh, kids can um, attend to it after school, before school, during the weekend, during the holidays, whenever they want. That's a great initiative, and actually it's linked to a question I want to ask you because I heard that when the war broke out, the Ministry of Education declared 
two weeks public holidays, but since then, most of the teaching resumed remotely. But mm -hmm. actually, the, the world is newly familiar with remote learning. Um, do you think that it has been easier for the country to adapt to the new situation? And how did it happen? Which role have the government and mainly civil society, uh, which role did they play? Mm -hmm. um, so actually, distance education uh, has met positively even the first time during the pandemic, um, because we had to do something. It was the only option, actually. We all know how stressful and unexpected it was then for everyone, remember, for the kids, because they don't have their comfort zone anymore. By comfort zone, I mean safe space uh, where they have teacher whom they trust and friends with whom you hang out between the lessons. Uh, for parents, this comfort zone, it means that now they have got a huge responsibility upon them. So the responsibility is not only uh, on teachers' shoulders, you know, the result, the academical accomplishments, the knowledge of the kids depends not only on the schools itself, but on parents' much. They had to check up on completing the tasks, to check um, did the students log and sign in Zoom or Teams. I mean, not all the teens are self-conscious or self-disciplined enough to do it by themselves. Uh, not all, I highlight. Uh, but speaking of primary school, it has become uh, the teamwork among the students, obviously, teachers and parents as well. Uh, fortunately, all students has the access to at least one gadget. So we knew they are supplied enough and um, I know that even in some small villages in the regions, uh, government provided laptops and tablets for the students in very limited number, though. But as a teacher, I had the biggest troubles with adapting my school curriculum to online version. Uh, not all the activities can be adapted and transformed to digital one. So uh, me and my colleagues, uh, we face the fact that we have to produce a new course or find the new sources and immediately. Uh, moreover, it can't be just any source, you know, you Google online activities, primary school, <laughs> click the first link. No, we had to use qualified materials, books, uh, everything. So during the pandemic, uh, we struggled much at first because we had to learn how to teach from, from the blank page. Uh, sure, it's useful anyway, and you know, I remember the times when saying, oh, I wish I attended that seminar, or I should have read that book about some new methodologies, that ta-da, time has come, you don't wait, you act, you learn to do something new, and I'm extremely lucky having my team by my side. We worked as one organism, it was the best team building we've ever had. I am in my 20s, so half of my colleagues, 20, 30 was the average age. We all wanted to raise and improve in online area, as to say. Unfortunately, it was different for more experienced teachers. I mean, those who hardly use gadgets at the lessons. For lots and lots of teachers among the country, it was um, an obstacle to use technologies. Uh, probably because they just don't use to it. And surely it led to the decreasing of the quality of educational process. Uh, nevertheless, 
little by little, teachers cooperated, figured out how to use all the tools needed. And I can say it was not only a revolution in education system, but also in people's minds. When the war started, it was completely not the same. Absolutely. Um, the first weeks you said, yeah, we had these holidays, as we can call them. Everything was like in a fog. You can't see clearly what's going to happen in an hour. We were so scared that uh, the education for some time wasn't the priority at all. But only after these two weeks, uh, we started to gather classes again. And I was deeply surprised, realizing that about 80% of all the students are ready to continue and actually looking forward to having lessons. Uh, they really wanted, they missed the community, classmates, and uh, gosh, we needed the war to start. So the kids understood the whole school, you know? We expected less number, much less, uh, because of the quality of the internet and, I don't know, impossibility of attending to the classes because of the air red siren. Uh, so they have to hide in a shelter or in the hall. It could last hours. But frankly, what a relief was to see their faces again, to interact, to share. Students were so relieved too, knowing that it's not only they who had to evacuate and leave home. It was the empathy that they had to each other. And my role here as a teacher, as an adult, was to say, not that everything's fine, don't think about it, but uh, to say the truth that I miss my home just like they do. And I really don't know when everything is over, but we do our best in order to win. I am as scared as they are when I hear the sirens, when I hear the rocket flying. So it doesn't mean you're not brave enough if you feel it. It means you're a human and we all experience the same things and feelings. Mm -hmm. Yes, as you just said, I mean, school is a necessary structure in these times for the teachers, for the kids, for the mental health, because it brings, I guess, mm -hmm. stability. It's a driver for hopes, for dreams, and it is also a way to escape from reality. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you just said you've been experiencing, of course, the pandemic and the war as a teacher, but I would like to know which other similarities you have witnessed in the sense of the importance of schooling for the kids in these times? Mm, the similarities of these two parts of my life. Actually, I've thought about that recently because I compared March 2021 and March 2022. Both times I had distance learning and both times I struggled with a burnout as many other teachers, as far as I know. But in 2021, it was caused by the intensity. As I've said, we made up the whole courses. And the most upsetting to me was that um, nobody knew for sure if we did it right or wrong. We were kind of uh, blind teaching, you know. And I realized that um, the academical accomplishments would be different. 
the time in March, we passed only the half of course instead of 75% of it. And children weren't motivated at all, which happens much though. But once I felt I'm losing them, uh, it meant we have to change the whole program and uh, use tools I've never used before. Uh, so it was ongoing like roller coaster of the spirit. Once you think, oh, I will do everything to gain their interest. And after a while, you want to quit and sit quietly under the blanket because you don't see the meaning and feedback in what you're doing, how it felt a year ago. And speaking of kids, they've lost their major need, or we may call it leading activity, communication, that's what you said, that's their um, main need in this period of their life. The way you behave in real life cannot be compared on the energy level to a remote learning. Online education, it leads to having twice or three times more energetical effort uh, because kids perceive only the half of it. And we increase the amount of self-reflection activities as well as active ones using um, motor skills, meditation, ice exercise, and many, many more. But this March, I have a burnout because of known reasons. And children just feel it so well. Um, now they're quite vulnerable by which I mean they're mirroring the mood of the adults and the crowd we can say the second about all of us and academical success isn't the priority anymore not for the parents nor teachers uh, now our aim is to keep them safe mentally and emotionally as much as we can just support them on the level they had uh, before the war started we start every lesson with discussing who is safe. Uh, and sometimes it leads us to absolutely different topics. We don't have proper lesson as we used to. We discuss things. Now children want to be heard the most. They have so much to tell. That's obvious. That's how trauma works. And we all have this trauma now. It should be spoken the earlier the better. Actually, no matter what kind of disaster we are facing, I realize that no matter which type of learning we experience, we have to stay supportive, positive, and empathetic. Try to look at the world from the perspective of the students and not underestimate their sadness and feel their joy. That's probably what we should do. I think it's a very, very important part what you just mentioned, everything about mental health, support, talking, communication. I mean, basically how you go through things in life. And I think school must be taking this into consideration for the mental health of everybody and everybody's future. But yeah, we just talked about somehow similarities, but Something that we must also consider is that education is an intersectional challenge in which not every kid is equal towards it. So it's a matter of location, of course, but also class, race, gender, and so on. 
I guess not every child could flee the war. Not every child has a safe space to study and not every child has even the equipment adapted. You said it yourself. You had to adapt as teachers. The kids must mm -hmm. do so as well. So, yeah, I would like to know your opinion on this intersectional matter. Um, how do you think it is taking into account in today's context? Um, actually, I can't say that uh, we face such um, troubles as um, lack of the equipment, actually, because, as I've said, uh, almost all the kids, they have gadgets, at least one of them. But the thing is that, again, the motivation to learn in itself is quite low, and it uh, can be caused by the stress, by the fear of being um, misunderstood or fear of being unheard again. So I don't know, it doesn't depend on government anymore. It depends only on the adults and children. They reflect um, their parents at first, obviously. Now we can't talk about the mental health of parents quite uh, clearly because, you know, um, families are separated and um, men are not allowed to leave the country. So in most families, there is case when uh, mom with um, kids or grandparents, they leave their house and dad is um, still there in their native town. And in that case, it's kind of support that mom cannot provide herself. And uh, it's so hard for the kids to find this, you know, inner strength. So first of all, we think and work um, at, for instance, in my courses, we have psychology club for parents. And uh, there we work first meeting, it was only about the parents, not about the kids. It was about the parents, about how they should act or how they should react. The funny thing is that we don't know how. <laughs> I mean, nobody knows. We never experienced war. Sorry for saying the first war in my life. I don't know how to act in proper way. And that's why we said that all the reactions you have are normal. They are natural and that's okay. And don't blame yourself for acting uh, differently because nobody expected it and nobody knows what is right, what's wrong. So um, when we talked to the parents, we realized that um, some parents are blaming themselves and we asked them not to because you will overcome it no matter how much time will it take, but you will overcome it, so will your kid. And we know that kids are more flexible than adults. So maybe we should reflect kids now. So it's kind of, again, the sharing, and I will not stop saying the energetical level because um, you have so much things to learn from your kid as well but you need to be the example and role model for uh, your kid. Um, as a teacher, I realized that I need to um, ask them about their feelings, but they also need to know how I feel about such things. And uh, of course, they have so many 
boundaries on their way, but it's just a matter of time. And we need to speak about it on and on that it's a matter of time. It will pass. Everything will pass. The thing which really matters and is constant is what kind of person you are. That's what we try to do to um, wake the consciousness in kids. And the fact is now they grew up very fast. So teens became adults just the, the 24th of February. They, they really grew up plus five years to each. And my primary school students, I frankly, I've noticed they started to, to act. They've never acted before. I mean, in a positive way, in some kind of self-reflected way. So it really speaks about their matureness. Yeah, you, you said it, that we have to reflect with the kids, as the kids. I mean, there is this French saying, um, la vérité sort de la bouche des enfants, which means the truth is going out through the children's mouth, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, makes much sense here. So we have to listen to them to know how to act as well. Yeah. Talking about France, actually, I realized something when I uh, traveled home because I met some friends who were hosting a family and the kid was going to the, the local school in, in France. And mm-hmm. I realized that fleeing the war means also for the kids in the new country, the challenge as well for the parents, but for the kids, the challenge to accommodate to a new culture and a new language. Mm-hmm. And yes, I realized that the kid would have classes online in Ukrainian, but also on site, but then mm-hmm. hold in the French school in French. And I was wondering, do you think then this is a trigger for children or could it also be maybe um, something beneficial in the sense that the kids would focus on something which they have a power of action on, learning the new language, meeting new people in Mm -hmm. a context in which they don't have actually any action, any possibility to change the things, which is the world. What, what do you think about it? Um, you know, we uh, talked about uh, these issues with my friend, Lada. She's a psychologist, and we set up this weekly column to answer to the parents' questions with her. We found out that there are some benefits of this experience. First of all, uh, yeah, it's a huge stress, which should be transformed, or as to say, sublimed into new dreams and values or strengthen the old ones. And actually for both adults and children, um, these cases, both pandemic or war, it's a test drive for our values. We check whether they are truly ours, whether uh, they feed us and whether we follow them no matter what. Also, each stress makes you stronger after you survive it. She explained it uh, to the group of adults like she was talking about her cat, taking it as as an example, Um, because she and her cat evacuated from Kyiv to her hometown where they lived in a house with a garden and cat has never seen a garden in his life. First week was shocking. He was wandering alone around the garden and ran back inside as soon as winter blew, which was extremely stressful for such comfort-loving creature like him. 
And after a few days, he became so confident he even could catch the butterfly. I mean, stress made him stronger and revealed the inner power we never thought existed there. That's what um, we bring to our kids. Uh, we bring it to their mind that everything will pass, you transform and you are stronger than ever. If considering academic accomplishments at new school as a success, I won't uh, say that it leads to, to some strength and, or believing in oneself. Because in the new surroundings, without knowing a language, with the absolutely new people around, everyone can be at sea in such situations. So it's absolutely natural thing. The best decision is to switch the focus from the desired high evaluation to the pure natural interest. So children can ask themselves, like, how do they do it, these students in the, this country with their culture? What do they do there? What am I can be interested in among their stuff? And um, we really switch this focus from the, again, academic accomplishments to, to the discovery-centered goal. You know, now we are discovering something new. That's not lie, or everybody knows that you always get better achievements using inner motivation, such as curiosity, um, than outer motivation, such as school marks. I don't think that they matter now anymore in this case. Very, very, very interesting again. Um, thank you so much for this insight. Actually, we are now arriving to the end of our discussion. And we have this kind of tradition in CEE when we ask our guests to recommend a piece of art or literature or music that would take our reflection further. What would you recommend us? When speaking of pieces of art, it's always Harry Potter. Always. <laughs> I mean because I'm a huge fan. I watched it when I was six years old first, then I started reading it. And getting older, I only convinced myself on and on that you can find not only hidden metaphorical and symbolic meanings. Maybe you will remember the thing with Bogart in the third part. Bogart is the creature that depicts and gets shape of your worst fear. Mm -hmm. And exactly. it can be defeated by laughter. And uh, the spell is called Ridiculous. Honestly, one of my favorites in a lifetime, really. So this ridiculous thing, which had absolutely no meaning for me as a kid. Uh, I didn't know English well, so ridiculous, okay. Maybe some Latin word or, or something. And rewatching it the uh, 11th time <laughs> as a teen, I realized that, yes, indeed, laughter is the key the positive thinking, uh, facing and overcoming your fear is what makes you not only the more qualified magician, but also more brave and stronger person. And um, at the same time, it's a story of evolving, of growing as a conscious and confident personality. It's a story about values that, um, that if you believe in them deeply, you're going to be challenged by life. So get ready for it. No, I think it's 
makes much sense. And I really, really, really find it very interesting what you said about this ridiculous spell. And yes, the way that G.K. Rawlings was putting into light the fact that maybe the best way to approach our fears is with a critical view on it, which goes through humor. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a very good uh, take on this. Thank you very much. And actually, thank you so much, Lana, for the discussion and giving us such precious insight on a very important topic. I think it's great. Thank you so much. Thank you too. It was such a pleasure. For me too. And I really hope the war would end soon, of course, and that kids could go, you know, to a different normality, go back yeah. to the classes physically with the teachers. But yeah, and thank you for the work you do. I think also with the um, association you are in, I think it's very important. Thanks so much thank for you. this. Thank you, Emma. And to our listeners, you will find the link to Lana's project, Pan Havlenko, in the descriptions. Also, if you like this episode, please subscribe to our podcast or recommend it to your friends and colleagues. We would love to hear some feedbacks about it and also your ideas. Thank you for listening once again and until next time. So you enjoyed this podcast? Then tune into another CEE episode and subscribe to the IDM podcast series on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Acast, or elsewhere you get your podcast. And also have a look at the rest of our work on our website www.idm.at. For any feedback or podcast collaboration, feel free to contact me at e. Hunterberry at idm.at. The email is in the description below. This was CEE Central Europe Explained, a podcast series produced by the Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe, powered by Erste Group, with the ongoing participation of Daniela Paiden, Marvin Atalik, Daniel Martinek, and Sebastian Schaeffer. Production and editing, Emma Hunterberry. Proofreading, Jack Gill. IDM Podcast. Institute für den Donauraum und Mitteleuropa. Institute for the Danube Region and Central Europe. European Perspectives. Regional Actions. Cooperation and Expertise since 1953.